I noticed um, a couple of days ago how much I look forward to being with you. And it's quite extraordinary because we can't be together physically. But my experience, and I hope it's somewhat the same for you, is that it is being with a group of friends uh, who share my aim, intention, call it what you will. So it's good to be here with you. And we've been having a most interesting conversation in this space and on Wednesday and in person and in email in some cases. I've gotten emails from some of our friends about the subject of coming home, which is an expression I use to refer specifically to coming back to sensation to the sensation of being here in a body, which we can try right now, you know, even before we sit together. And what was so interesting about it is that some people really don't like that expression and that for different reasons. Um, some people, because their experience of home was very painful and difficult. And it wasn't a place of refuge. It was a place of trauma sometimes, or certainly agitation, or at the very least, they were very ambivalent about home. But at the same time, people, a couple of people wrote and said, you know, I like the term because it reminds me that there is something in me that longs for a place, one woman put it, a place she knew before the fog of life began. A place she knew before the fog of life began. And so if you're just coming in, we're talking about the usefulness and the mystery, really, of this idea of coming home. And um, I looked up, I confirmed something that I threw out on Wednesday, and I thought I should check, since it turns out that Thich Nhat Hanh is still alive. So my report of his death was premature, though he is extremely old and approaching death. Um, so I, uh, I did look up something that turned out to be true, which is that the word nostalgia was actually created. It was engineered in 1688 by an Austrian medical student who was referring to Swiss soldiers who'd be stationed high in the Alps, and they would be longing for a home. And it was made of two Greek words, one of which is nostos, and the sec, which means the longing for a home, which is threaded through the Odyssey, the great Homeric poem 
where again and again, the sailors and especially Odysseus is blown off course, held captive, intoxicated, falls into forgetfulness. But under everything, there's this longing to return home. And that apparently came from a custom that sailors would have of telling their stories of return. Nostos. And the second part refers to an ache. So, um, you know, not to be academic, that there, it suggests that there's something deep inside us that longs for a place or a state that is different than the way that we're usually buffeted about, pushed and pulled by different emotions and changing mind states and different conditions and our endless capacity to be distracted. But there's something else. Like one of our Sangha friends who said, that place that we knew before the fog of life. And, and of course, one of my teachers called it a nostalgia for being a state where we're really fully present, fully present. And last week, um, I gave an exercise, and I have no idea if anyone tried it, of when you're out in the world, to imagine that there's an atmosphere around you, about three feet three and a half feet, and to practice bringing yourself home, to notice that our thoughts can literally transport us to another country, to another time. And how does it feel to bring yourself back? And you're still walking, you're still talking, but you have this taste of being more collected, more present. And so when I talk about sensation as much as I do, coming home to sensation, the wish and the intention isn't to make us smaller, to have some small contained little life, little fortresses of little fortresses of solitude, like apart from all the distractions and pulls and sorrows. No, it's to bring us to the center of ourselves, to bring us back to our bodies, back to the present moment. Our bodies live in the present moment like animals do. And I know animals sleep and dream, but they typically spend more waking time in the present. So we're anchored in this feeling of being alive. So that even in the wake of great upset, great turmoil, great grief, 
you have, when you practice this movement of return, you are slowly but surely cultivating an ability to be more present, to be present with more of you, with your body, with your feelings, with your thoughts. Your thinking becomes a way of watching, a way of remembering, remembering to come back. And why does this make a difference? It, it sounds well and good, but kind of self-contained. Because I can promise you that in the depths of your darkest times, or that time when you are completely overtaken by grief or rage, or some upset in the outer world, because you have practiced this, you can come home and open to a state and a feeling of another quality. You can meet your own depths. You can begin to welcome them home. And as you begin to be able to do that, as above, so below, you simultaneously become open to something finer and something higher. It's a kind of alchemy. And that might sound like I'm, what is this? What is this? I thought this was just meditation. And it is. But meditation is a doorway to your own being, to your own deepest, truest life. So we practice this way because it's something that we actually can do. We can control. We can't control what's out there. But we can cultivate a taste for this movement of return, this coming home to a state that's truer, that we're more present. Just notice right now if you're just being present in your body without striving. Just notice how it feels to be giving your attention to sensation and to allowing all these impression, impressions to appear so you're hearing me. And, but you're also doing something else at the same time. And you begin to see that this is what we're practicing. We're practicing to be more here more here. And that then we begin to see that the head doesn't have to be an endless source of fixing or distraction. It can also be something that can help us see, help us remember, help us dedicate ourselves to live truer life. 
to tell the truth, to live the truth. And I just, because um, Louise Gluck won the Nobel Prize this week, I wanted to read just four lines from a longer poem of hers called October. And the lines are, it is true, there isn't enough beauty in the world. And it's also true that I am not competent to restore it. Neither is there candor. And here I may be of some use. Beauty isn't up to us in a sense. It's something we can open to. But candor, honesty, is something that we can have an intention to cultivate, to live a deeper, truer life. And this candor, this daring wish or intention or vow to live a truthful life is something we can do right now in these conditions. In fact, the fact that we are constrained is, and we can't distract ourselves quite as elaborately is helpful for cultivating this intention. And this wish and this intention to be honest depends on the, our capacity to return home to the living experience of being present in our lives, not projecting outward into some dream forged in the past, some image of what happiness might be or how we should be looking and achieving, but the actual taste and feel and gravity of being present, being here right now. So let's sit together and we take a comfortable seat and, and striving to be as upright as we can. And notice how it feels to let your eyes close if you can. Otherwise, avert your gaze. But to let your eyes close and let your back be straight. And notice how it feels to be here today. And we see that thoughts appear, they just bubble up. They come from nowhere. We see that there's sensations and impressions of all kinds. And we let that happen. 
just allow it to be exactly as it is. And notice that you can bring the attention back to sensation. And if you wish, you can take the rhythm of the breath without striving to alter the breath. Just notice the movement in and out. And begin to let yourself experience that there is an awareness inside you that isn't thinking. It's not separate from sensation. And see that when you stray into thinking, you can gently come home again, back to sensation, back to the breath. Beginning to notice how it feels to be collected, to be 
recollected sensation and seeing and feeling together. And notice that as you make this movement of coming home, of coming back to sensation, you actually open, you open to life. Remembering the warmth and vibrancy inside you. Notice that this movement of return is a movement of relaxation, of allowing yourself to open by accepting everything exactly as it is.
and notice that there's a presence around you that's also you. It's not separate. This movement of remembering and coming back to sensation is a movement of settling and opening. Remembering all that's present in you and outside.
And notice that stillness is an absence. It's an attention that doesn't judge. Notice that stillness waits for you to come to it. And allows you to be exactly as you are.
noticing how it feels to come home and then give yourself to stillness. Letting yourself be touched and seen by a presence that receives without judgment. movement of coming back anytime. And be completely accepted.
See that no matter what's happening, you can still come back and sense how it feels to be here. Thank you for your attention, for your practice. And the one thought I wanted to leave you with, or actually two, is that that feeling, that longing to be elsewhere, to be someplace better than here, is actually wholesome or it can be wholesome. It can point towards this longing for a state of being more collected, more free, more present. A home before the fog of the world dispersed us and carried us away in emotion and distraction. And number two, that you always have a home to come back to in the sense of coming back, this movement of return to sensation, to presence, is the beginning of finding that place. So thank you for listening to me and for your practice. And I welcome any questions or observations you might have about the practice.
for your stillness. Stillness is wonderful. And I could mention that, as some of us know, um, the yoga studio where we used to meet the Hudson River Sangha is closing at the end of October. And uh, one of my friends here said, does that mean we're in diaspora, we're scattered? But it's interesting to remember that the Buddha never had a place, a fixed place. He would, people would offer him and his monks, um, and eventually nuns, uh, a place to camp, basically, come to my park and stay, or come to my grove, my forest, and stay. But there was no fixed location. And in a sense, we're in that place now where we are a Sangha. And we're not in a fixed place. Of course, some of us are in different states. And um, Dawn is from another country. We've got Hawaii in the house. So our togetherness doesn't depend on a building. In the same way, coming home doesn't depend on a house or an apartment. So, yeah, so homecoming. Like poor Ulysses, and notice how he got blown off course, or you know, he ended up in the damnedest places with the strangest people. But he remembered his wonderful dog, and his son, and his wonderful wife. I have to make things worse. That's my job. <laughs> but you have to remember that when he came home. His wife was waiting for him, but first he killed everybody else in the house, all her suitors, every one of them. <laughs> and then he killed the, the servants who had served, who had served them. And, um, and then he had the other ones bury them. So before he went into Penelope's arms, <laughs> it was a Slaughter. huge mass massacre. Okay, I can speak to that because something happened even before that. And you know what happened? Um, he was in disguise and he was completely, a, yes, yes, his dog, his loyal dog. I'm talking about the body. I'm talking about the body, his dog recognized him and knew him. And then once his dog recognized him, he's coming home to his faithful body. And then he beholds the misuse that has befallen his kingdom, his domain, his life. All these strangers 
are eating his food. They're taking his energy. They're using his life. Like all those people we're talking to and all those distractions that prey upon us. So grounded in the body, in his faithful dog, and wanting to love well, he dispatches all those distractions, all those strangers, all those people that were preying on his domain. So how do you like that? And then he was truly home. And things were set right. So that's what I got to say about that. The myths, the beautiful thing about these kind of works that have a mythic resonance is that they're instructions for us to live by. And once we learn to come home to our loyal animal, to our true love, our deeper values, that's what I mean by love. I don't mean romantic. It means seeing in a more grounded, wholesome way. We're all going to dispatch those false suitors, bunch of phonies who don't really love us. They just want to take out, steal our energy and our food. So. I guess we should stop now. So I'm, I'm happily, I'm happily, happy to be corrected. Happy. Okay, I'm really delighted you brought that up. So it wasn't a correction; it was just a suggestion. Um, so we take our seat just for a moment um, with gratitude for our practice, for our community, for our sangha. And, and the sweetness of it. Yes, honey, I'm home. Indeed, it is like honey. And we don't keep it for ourselves alone. We offer it to ourselves and to all beings everywhere with no exception. Plants and animals and people of all kinds. And we offer them the wish, all of us, may we all be safe and free from harm and danger. May we find our true home. So we don't have to take somebody else's home. Um, may we be completely at ease in our life and know we belong. And may all beings everywhere, with no exception, be free. Thank you.